everyone. My name is Josh Scroggins. I pastor New Beginnings Family. Just wanted to say thank you for joining our podcast and welcome. We hope the following message will be encouraging, will inspire you to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about us or would like to support our ministry financially, you can visit our website at www.nbfamily.net. And as always, for all you do to support us, thank you. God bless you and enjoy the message. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Uh, my name is Josh and uh, we are finishing up our series called Could You Use Some Help? Uh, in this uh, episode, we are talking about divine direction. One of history's worst decisions was that of French Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte to invade Russia in 1812. At the start of that year, Napoleon was at the height of his power. Then he invaded Russia with about 658,000 men. At the time, it was the biggest army ever assembled. By year's end, Napoleon had endured a catastrophic defeat, lost most of his men, and began the downward slide that would culminate in his exile. The Russian debacle was the result of not just one bad decision, but a whole series of bad decisions. The first bad decision was Napoleon's poor choice to appoint his unqualified stepson, Prince Eugene, to a major command. Early in the campaign, Napoleon had maneuvered the Russians into a situation where they would be forced to give battle, only for his inexperienced stepson to mess it up and allow the Russians to retreat. Napoleon then plunged into Russia, chasing after the Tsar's army. The Russians retreated for hundreds of miles, refusing to give battle, scorching the countryside behind them. The emperor had planned to halt at Smolensk and go into winter quarters, resume the campaign the following year. But once there, Napoleon committed his second mistake by deciding to continue on to Moscow. The Russians finally turned around and offered Napoleon battle at uh, Borodino near Moscow. Napoleon won a tough fight, but at the decisive moment, he made his third bad decision by wavering and refraining from using his usual tactic of sending in the elite Imperial Guard, kept in reserve, to finish off the reeling enemy. That prevented the victory from becoming decisive and allowed the battered Russians to live and fight another day. Napoleon then marched into Moscow, assuming that the Russians would want peace. Of course, now that he had their capital, well, he made his fourth bad decision by waiting for peace negotiations in Moscow as winter drew near. By the time he accepted that there would be no peace and he marched back to Smolensk, it was too late. His unprepared army was caught by winter during the retreat. This was exacerbated by Napoleon's final bad decision. It was his choice of route. Napoleon had the choice of two routes. He ended up taking the one that was struck by severe winter storms. The route he did not take saw little snow that year. Most of Napoleon's army starved, froze to death, or were killed by Cossacks. The French emperor had marched into Russia with a grand army numbering 685,000 soldiers. He came out with only 35,000 Frenchmen still under his command. Have you ever made a bad decision? 
Have you ever made a series of bad decisions? Have you ever maybe almost made a bad decision and then you had a feeling you couldn't quite explain that changed your mind? Have you ever felt like maybe God gave you instructions you didn't understand at the time and it turned out to be perfect when you followed those directions? See, this is one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. He guides us, he directs us, and in this episode, we're going to finish our series called Could You Use Some Help? about how the Holy Spirit helps us in our daily life. We talked um, about a, a few things in this series, right? We talked about how the Holy Spirit helps to bring light into our darkest places and to set us free. In the second uh, episode, we looked at how he helps to keep us walking free by filling us with joy and hope and peace. And last week we explored how the Holy Spirit helps to equip us with spiritual gifts, with power, with authority, and with boldness. And in this episode, we're going to finish the series by learning how the Holy Spirit guides us and direct us. When we talk about direction, there is a passage that comes to mind. It's found in Acts 16. Verses 6 to 14, it says they passed through the Phrygian, the Galatian region, after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. They came to Mycenae and they were trying to go into Bithynia. The Spirit of the Lord did not allow them, or the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And passing by Mycenae, they went to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and pleading with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When they'd seen the vision, we immediately sought to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So after setting sail from Troas, we went straight course to uh, Samothrace, and on the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We were spending some days in the city, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were thinking that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia was listening, who was a seller of purple fabrics from the city of Thyatira, and a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. You know, again, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to give us direction. That means that he either stops us from going in one direction, helping us to avoid something stupid or dangerous, and he points us to where we need to go next. And in this passage, we see the Spirit do both. First, he stops them from going to Asia. Next, he stops them from going to Bithynia. And finally, he gives Paul a vision that calls him to go to Macedonia. God had a work to do there, and he had already planned to use Lydia to do that. He just needed to get Paul and Silas there. If you can, I want you to, I want you to think about this like a spiritual GPS. And really, a GPS is a, is a good illustration here. Have you ever used a GPS? Let's say that you're going to make a long trip to an obscure destination on the other side of the country. Well, what would the GPS do? Would it give you every piece of the directions the moment you started your trip and then say, good luck? Of course not, right? You'd never make it. Now, what a good GPS does is twofold. First, it gives you one step at a time and only when you get close to the next turn. Right? Nobody wants a GPS that says, take exit 15 and 227 miles. Take exit 15 and 226 and a half miles. Take exit 15 and 226 miles. Now, a good GPS only gives you the next step when you're ready. 
And it only gives it to you one step at a time because to give them all at once would be overwhelming. Second, a good GPS lets you know when you've made a wrong turn. And then it gives you directions to get back on track if you do. Often this sounds like, at the next opportunity, make a U-turn. I, I often like to think that, you know, it's a computer, it's not. But it to me, I wonder sometimes if there's a little bit of passive-aggressive sarcasm involved in that. When, when I've not obeyed the GPS and I've gone a different way and it begins to yell at me and say, at the next opportunity, make a U-turn, I feel like what it wants to say is, hey, dummy, <laughs> I told you to take a right. Why did you take a left? Turn around. You know, the thing is, if you read the passage, you're going to notice that the way that I describe a GPS working, not the sarcasm, but the way that the GPS works, that's really the way that the Holy Spirit was leading Paul and Silas. They're going to Asia and the Holy Spirit says, you turn. They get back on track and then they start toward Bithynia and the Holy Spirit again says, hey, you turn, redirecting, rerouting. Then they change course again, they get back on track. And when they get to Troas, the Holy Spirit gives them their next turn. And they were to set sail for Macedonia. I saw the I saw he works to help us. So many of us expect God to do what we would not even expect our GPS to do. We want God to tell us everything, tell us the entire trip, all the steps, how it's going to work, how it's going to be okay, what surprises are going to be waiting for us, what decisions we need to make a year from now, what people we shouldn't trust in 10 years, how many kids we're going to have, how will we retire, all of it, right? We we, And it's not that we come out and say that, but... You know, anytime we get caught by something unaware or anytime that we don't know how all of it plays out, we think this, don't we? But that's not how it works. The Holy Spirit is your GPS. He will give you one step at a time and only when you need it. So sticking with the GPS analogy for a moment, if you've ever had your stereo blasting and you're talking loudly with your passengers, or if you're dealing with a screaming child in the back of your car, you might not hear the GPS give you the next turn. Well, in the same way, if you fill your life with distractions, you're more likely to miss the Holy Spirit's next direction. In other words, if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss a turn. And some missed turns, they're not a big deal. But some will cause you or others pain. You ever made one of those mistakes? So how does the Holy Spirit guide us? How does he tell us what turn to make next? How does he lead us? It's not like we're carrying around a speaker around our neck that he talks out of. It's not like we have somebody approach us and ask for something and the speaker says, hey, don't trust this person. Don't trust this person. Right? That would make conversations kind of awkward, I think. It's not like we have that. So how does he lead us? How does he guide us? Well, I want to look at four ways that he does this. And the first is our thoughts. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us by leading and guiding our thoughts. John 14, 26 says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he'll remind you of all that I said to you. Now, when he says he will teach you all things, I, I want to clarify here because this gets misinterpreted a lot. I, I've I've heard people use that verse as an excuse to be lazy and not to study the word. I have uh, heard people use that ex- as an excuse for a lot of things. I've heard this verse interpreted a lot of wrong ways. Very simply put, he describes exactly what it is that he's going to teach us. Um, 
But to teach something is to help us understand it. It doesn't mean that when you become a Christian, or, and it doesn't mean that when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that suddenly you know everything. That's not what that says. That's not what that means. It does not mean that the Holy Spirit will, will uh, you'll be saved. And now that you're saved, and now that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, now, now you've had these experiences, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you, you open your eyes, and now you are an expert auto mechanic. No, that's not the way it works. It doesn't mean that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and then the next time you go to the airport, you tell everybody, hey, move aside, I'm flying today. Okay, don't do that. That's not going to work out well for you uh, unless you actually are a pilot. Um, <coughs> this passage doesn't mean that, right? How, do, how does he guide us? Well, one of the ways the Holy Spirit guides us is to help us learn what normally would be impossible for us to understand on our own. I mean, let, me, let me ask you this way. Have you ever read a book or seen a movie a second time or a third time, and then you noticed something that changed your entire understanding about the movie or the book? Have you ever read a scripture you're already familiar with and suddenly you noticed something that just made you understand it a little deeper? That was the Holy Spirit at work, teaching you, teaching you all things. That's what it's talking about. Scriptures are full of incredible instructions for our lives. But people often don't follow them because they don't understand them. I've, I have gotten instructions for things that I was supposed to build before. And the instructions were so complicated, I didn't understand them. Those instructions did me no good. And the Bible is full of instructions for our lives. But a lot of people just don't understand them. The Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is to teach us all things. What things? Well, what Jesus says here and, I'll, and he used to teach us all things and remind us of all I've said to you is what he said. So we're talking scripture. We're talking truth here. He helps us to learn truth, to understand what has been taught. He helps to guide us by helping us to understand the instructions. When I am given a set of instructions I don't understand, it doesn't help me. But when someone comes along and teaches me those instructions, now the instructions can guide me in a way they didn't before. And so one of the ways that the Holy Spirit guides us is by helping us to understand and to apply scripture to the lives that we're living right now. The second way that the Holy Spirit guides us through our thoughts is by reminding us of what we've already learned. Have you ever made a stupid decision because you didn't apply something you already knew? By the way, you'll you'll know if this has happened because you will have said the phrase, why did I do this? I knew better or I should have known better. If you've ever said the phrase, I should have known better, then here it is. That's yes, you, you have made a stupid decision because you didn't apply something you already knew. See, the Holy Spirit helps to guide us by giving us gentle reminders and sometimes not so gentle of what we've already been taught, specifically what Jesus has already said. Should I be in a relationship with this person? Well, what does Jesus teach about what marriage should be? What does the Bible teach about what marriage should be? Should I forgive that person? Well, what does Jesus say about forgiveness? Should I go into a lot of debt? Well, what does scripture teach us about debt? Again, have you ever done something even when you knew better? The Holy Spirit's job is to remind us. And often he does that through our thoughts by reminding us of what we have already learned. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 13 says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. 
For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among people knows the thoughts of a person except the Spirit of the person that's in him? So also the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. And that leads us to the next way the Holy Spirit leads us, and that is through our words. Mark 13, 11 says, When they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you're going to say, but say whatever is given to you at the time, given to you at the time. For you are not the one speaking, it's the Holy Spirit. Luke 12, 11 to 12 is similar to, to this, and it says, When they bring you before the synagogues and the officials and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you're to speak in your defense or what you're to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And Second Peter 1, 21 says, No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Not only does the Holy Spirit direct us through our thoughts, He does so by giving us the words to speak when we need them. There's times where you're going to have conversations with someone and suddenly you're saying deep and wise things that amaze even you and you wonder, where did that come from? That's the Holy Spirit at work, giving you the words you need in that moment. It's happened to me more times than I can count and not one time did I know what I was going to say before these conversations started. God simply gave me one thought at a time. And he'll guide your words when you need them. That's that's part of the job of the Holy Spirit is to give us words and to guide conversations. He guides your words when you need them if you surrender to his guidance. And I can tell you this, if you have ever been on either side of these conversations, you will know how powerful and life-changing that can be. Another way the Holy Spirit guides us is through our conscience. Romans 9.1 says, I'm telling you the truth. In Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. You know, conscience is a funny thing because there's actually three different kinds of conscience. And it's why that word can be so confusing. It can be so misinterpreted. It can be so um, divisive because people will say conscience and you don't know what they mean by that. Because there's three different kinds. And by the way, none of those kinds are a cricket. (laughs) Sorry, bad, bad joke there. That's a Pinocchio reference. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is only one of those three kinds of conscience. The first is the kind that we're born with. Romans 1 teaches that God has written his law upon every single heart. That's the reason that we know evil exists in this world. The very fact that you know evil exists proves that you have something written in your heart to tell you that there is evil to tell you that there is good. Because what is evil? Evil is a violation of good. But the thing is, if there were no God, if there were no objective standard of good to compare things against, how would we even know what evil was? See, it's it's the it's the big question that, that gets asked so much is, well, if God's real, why is there evil in this world? The fact is, if God was not real, you wouldn't know what evil was. There would be no objective standard of good to compare things against, to even say that there was evil. That question doesn't even make sense in a world that God doesn't exist. 
Well, if God's not real, how can evil exist? That question only makes sense in a world that God exists. There's a very general conscience, right? This is what I'm talking about. This first type of conscience, it is it is where God writes the law on our hearts. It's how we know evil exists. It's how we can look to other places and say what is happening over there is evil. Now, the second type of conscience is the one that the world generally believes is is the real type of conscience, and it's it's just not. It's just one of them. And that's the type of conscience that is taught to us by society. We are raised in a society to believe certain things, to think certain things. And as you can imagine, this varies wildly from one culture to another. I mean, for instance, modesty, the word modesty, it's very different in America than it is in an Aborigine tribe in Africa. Modesty is very different in France than it is in China or Japan. Standards for what is good and bad to eat vary from place to place. There are in America, we eat pigs, right? We we eat pork. But there's a lot of places that would look at that and say pigs are absolutely disgusting animals, right? There are some places that eat dog or eat insects. And in America, we look at that and say, how in the world could you do that? That's terrible, right? What is good and bad to eat? It just varies place to place. The way that we treat each other, the way that we greet each other, the way that we treat our elders, right? They all vary from place to place. Often this type of conscience is the one that people default to. What society has taught us, that's that's kind of our default conscience, but it's not our first conscience. Our first conscience, we're born with. We have that. It is written in our hearts. We know. But then there is a form of conscience that is taught to us. There are standards that we are raised with. And this is a lot of times what people default to. So, so for instance, if society teaches us that something is acceptable, Oftentimes, people just go with it and ignore the law that God wrote on their hearts. Our culture teaches a whole lot of things as being perfectly acceptable that we know on a deep level are not right. They're just wrong. Some are are just evil, but society says it's okay. That's two different consciences at war. But what happens is oftentimes people suppress the conscience that God gives them, suppress the conscience that is the law he's written on their hearts, and they default instead to the conscience that society has taught them. It's why the third type of conscience is so important. And that final type of conscience is the Holy Spirit himself. He works with the first type, the law that God's already written on your heart. But the difference is that the Holy Spirit actually gives you something you can do about it when you violate your conscience. See, the the first type of conscience and the second type, but mostly the first type, God's written the law on your heart and when you violate it, you know. But what can you do? You just know that you have messed up. Have, Have you ever done something and you knew you did wrong you wanted to make it right, and you knew there was nothing you could do to make it right. Have you, have you ever been there? That's the first type of conscience at work. See, the whole job of the Holy Spirit is to work with that conscience. But the difference is that the Holy Spirit gives you something you can do about it. He directs you to Jesus. He prompts you. He, 
convicts you. He, he, he leads you to repentance. And what's more, he will actually warn you ahead of time when you are about to do something that will violate your conscience. The first type of conscience really doesn't kick in until you're violating it. But the Holy Spirit warns you ahead of time. If you go down this road, you will violate your conscience. You ever been thinking about doing something and then you just, you felt convicted, you knew it would be wrong. And, and so you never did it. You never went down that road. That was the Holy Spirit. And, and then here's the last way that the Holy Spirit leads us, that he guides us. And that's through our hearts. Romans 5, 5 says, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 to 3 says, You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all people, revealing yourselves that you are a letter of Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Holy Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. See, the last way that the Holy Spirit gives us direction is through our hearts. He convicts us. He draws us. He reveals the love of God to us and through us. And there's times where a decision is coming and you feel a pull in your heart one direction or another. That could be the Holy Spirit leading you. If you're not sure, pray and ask until you're sure it's him. I'm not going to tell you pray until you have perfect peace about the situation. Okay, I don't believe that's I don't believe that's a biblical thing. We we do that a lot. I'm going to pray until I have peace. You know what the fact is that a lot of times God asked people to do things where they didn't have perfect peace about it. In fact, they had to have a, a big step of faith. They weren't totally sure. They were afraid. I'm not telling you to pray until you have peace. I'm telling you to pray until you're sure it's God. And if you're sure God is leading you, if you feel like there is a pull on your heart and you pray and you're confident this is God, then it doesn't matter if you have peace or not. Once you're confident this is God leading, you trust him. Even if you're not sure where he's leading. And, and, and maybe you're maybe you're listening to this and you'd say this, you'd say, you know, Pastor, that that's all sounds well and good, but I don't feel like the Holy Spirit's leading me anywhere. I don't feel like he's doing any well, what do you do then? I'm gonna give you a piece of advice I, I was given when I was younger, and it is still, I think, one of the most profound things that I've heard in this subject. I wish I could say it was mine, but it wasn't. If you're not sure where the Holy Spirit is leading you next, if you are praying for direction and you're not getting it, go back and do the last thing he told you to do until he gives you new directions. If you got a GPS, this has happened to me before where, um, where I was driving somewhere and uh, all of a sudden I got off track and it had to do a rerouting situation, um, but I was out of reception, and so it couldn't reroute. The only way I could get my new directions was to backtrack back to where I got my last direction from, and then I could get new directions. I had to, I had to go back to the last time that GPS gave me instructions, go back and do that. And if you're asking God for direction and you're not getting it, then my advice would be think back to the last time that you felt God prompting you to do something. The last time God told you to do something, the last time he led you somewhere and do that 
until he gives you new directions. Because maybe that thing that he was asking you to do, the next direction won't make sense until you're in that place. You know, I, I thought about it. The disciples wanted to go to Asia, right? Paul's wanting to go to Asia, wanting to go to Bithynia, go to these different places. And the Holy Spirit kept telling them, nope, don't go there. Nope, don't go there. But he didn't receive the vision to go to Macedonia until they were in Troas. Why is that? Well, because they needed to set sail from Troas. Meaning that even if God had given them the vision, they were going to still have to go through there anyway. God wanted to get them to Troas first. Sometimes the direction that God has for you, the next instruction, they're not going to make sense until you go back to the place he told you to go to last time. So if there's still something that that you remember God telling you to do and you're not doing that right now because you're looking for a new direction, maybe go back and do what he told you to do before. So is, is the Holy Spirit working on your heart right now? Is he showing you that you need Jesus? Is he calling you to repent? Is he calling you to take a step of faith? Is he telling you to change something in your life? Is he pointing out a sinful lifestyle that you need to get rid of? Is he reminding you of a lesson that you forgot and haven't been applying? Whatever he's guiding you in right now, you can trust him more than any GPS. See, a GPS knows the direction I'm headed. A good GPS will know the traffic that's coming up. But God knows everything about what tomorrow holds. He knows where you're going in your life. He knows what you're going to run into. He knows the situation of the economy and and, and everything else. 10, 20, 30 years from now, he knows all of that. Will you trust him today by just obeying what he's telling you to do in your heart right now? Because if you will, you're going to find that when God is leading, you are never lost. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us at New Beginnings Family. We appreciate you listening and hope that the message was encouraging, inspiring, challenging, that ultimately it brings you closer to Jesus Christ. If you have any questions for us or would like to get a hold of us, you can reach out to us at www.nbfamily.net. Thank you so much. We love you. Have an amazing day. And thank you for all your support. We'll see you next time.